you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming uh, this evening. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, thank you, Naomi, who's been responsible for me to be here in Melbourne uh, and to do this year's uh, M Pavilion. Uh, Robert, thank you. And most importantly, thank, thank you to the Robin Boyd Foundation because we've had a wonderful last evening and again, the whole day spent out here. So thank you for the hospitality. So f I think everyone's read this, uh, this idea of civilization is built on an aqueous footing, a world that is in constant flux, a cultural culture continually in, in an ebb and flow. For me, this is really the basis of how I think I understand architecture. So what I'm going to be speaking about is more my personal journey or my personal view in the understanding of ethics in architecture or ethics of architecture, whichever way that one wants to read it. Again, what's important for me and why I start with this is that it's about movement. Uh, it's about water. And so for me, there are three ingredients that actually are required. Uh, it's water, air and light in some way for us to sort of inhabit space. Uh, so again, for me, this idea of how I've come about into this process, uh, uh, it's not really about craftsmanship or collaboration in a way that as an architect and a craftsman, but more that comes from a relationship of a mutually shared value. I think for me, that's really the sort of basis of the idea of exchange. Uh, there's a social uh, a Russian writer by the name of Peter Kropotkin who wrote this book about mutual aid, which talks about not about hierarchies, but more about uh, strengths and weaknesses, if you want to call it that, and the adjustments that are made in between these strengths and weaknesses to move towards a certain idea. So for me, this sort of becomes the basis of how one can actually participate and how one can work in a collective. Uh, just a quick image to give you a sense. This is actually a mine in, in Rajasthan, which is in the northern part of India. Uh, it doesn't normally rain there. Uh, but just a suggestion of something that, that in a way traverses time, this idea of things that are made and a whole landscape that could potentially unfold just because of a change of a certain climatic season. So it can be seen as being detrimental or the possibility or potential of something that could be constructive. For me, this is an interesting image. Uh, again, what I want to share with you, and it I think comes from working in India, uh, we're a billion, 200 million people, very diverse cultures. Uh, and everything kind of exists between a yes and a no. I'm sure if you've met Indians, they sort of nod their head like that. And you ask them a question and, you know, ask them, are you saying yes? And you'd get that nod. And so it's this idea of a, bit, an, a yes and a no. It's sort of an in-between space. Uh, another important thing uh, for me is this idea that we are actually tuned into what I understand as lunar time. You know, that's the really the basis of how civilization was built. You know, that's how cultures evolved. Uh, it was based on the ebb and flow of, you know, of the tides of the moon, the cycle of the moon. Uh, and simultaneously, you know, not so long ago, I think it's you know, not, you know, not that long ago, uh, Greenwich Mean Time was introduced, which was more about control. It was actually controlling the seas. Uh, and that's really the culture of what, how we in, in, in today's society live in. But fundamentally, our makeup is really more tuned into the idea of lunar time. So this constant adjustment, you know, and we are often asked this, you know, I'm often, the tradition is being lost. Uh, 
for me, the idea that tradition is actually obscured. Couple of things that I just want to bring to, uh, you know, uh, to put forward uh, this idea about the hands, you know, why the hands? Uh, what does tradition mean? So if I sort of pose the question, you know, this one thing that touched us, all of us here in the room, the moment we took our first breath, it wasn't sound, it, it was actually the touch of the hands. You know, all of us have been touched by the hand, the first contact that we made when we came into this world. Something, something to think about. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting here is that the hand is really a medium of transmission, a medium of transmission of a certain kind of empathy. I think empathy for me is very important in the idea of the making of things or the creation of things. That being said, you know, there's something for me that when, when I'm often asked this question in Japan, you know, we're losing our tradition, we're losing our tradition. And if I raise the question, what is truly our tradition? What is our tradition? And that we say we're losing our tradition. I would say love. Now you link it to the hand and you link it to tradition. That first gesture that was made to invite you in. Everything that we do today is to move further away from the hand. So I think it's interesting to visualize or to imagine a world, what would that look like without our hands? So again, for me, it's not so important about the craftsmanship of something. You know, it's not about the skill, but the sort of embedded empathy that is transferred in the making of something, as rudimentary as it may be. I think for me, these are the systems of operation that if directly applied to architecture, that's the idea, this idea of an embodied energy that actually enters into a building. Uh, I'm of the view that architecture has the potential to heal. Uh, we have the possibility of building or making spaces that are a very precise extension of the human body. It, it has the capacity or the possibility to behave uh, and to perform uh, like the human body, which is fundamentally breathe. So these are just things that I'm raising uh, and bringing forward. This is an image, uh, and I was talking about this idea of negotiating lunar time and Greenwich Mean Time. This is an unorganized or in some way, not I wouldn't say an or rather an unauthorized industry where sand is dredged from the estuary, from this river in southern Gujarat. And what's quite interesting is there's no machines. The boats actually go out during the low tide, when the tide moves out. And then they dredge the sand, fill the boats, and then the boats come in during the tide, the high tide. Very simple gesture path of least resistance, economy of means. It doesn't require any machinery so that they don't have licenses. It, they're allowed, they're, they're fishermen. So they have this sort of dual trade that, that they do, this dual profession. These boats come in, the sand is dredged, the trucks then take the sand, which is then used to, in the construction of cities. And so this idea of civilization being built on an aqueous footing, there's a connection that occurs, there's a sort of link and how the formal and the informal can actually come together or meet uh, in the idea of making of architecture. So it's also this idea of governance uh, and for me this idea of governance being something that is also within ourselves. It's not something that is an external framework but more an internal framework uh, within ourselves and the relationship that is set up 
in this idea of a larger collective. Again, the idea that aesthetic, you know, how do we define an aesthetic? What is the motivation of why we do the things we do or why we create the things we create? What I like about this particular slide here on the left is that you don't quite know which one came first, the steps or the ramp. They're sort of in some way, they've come together. Uh, the ramp has come in because, you know, it's, it's an upwardly, they've, they've, the person in the house is uh, earning more money, better economy. Uh, a motorcycle now is a pride possession and is actually brought into the living room of the house. Uh, and so just the ability for an inclusiveness, I think, without a prejudice or making a judgment about what's right, wrong, good or bad, I think. But the, the ability for it to accommodate the possibility of the two actually coming together. So this idea of coming together, moving away, coming together, moving away. And, and that's the sort of idea of the ebb and flow, that in these two different economies, this idea of two different times that we live in, within ourselves and by what we are governed, that these are the potentials of a third possibility. Uh, this one here is a rock, it's in Humpy. It just fascinated me because it, I saw these sort of markings and I took this picture some time ago only to find out later, and actually the entire city there, it's, it's, it was built in the 15th century, it's all built out of granite. You know, floors, walls, aqueducts, doors, it's only one singular material and it's granite. Uh, and what was used was basically wooden pegs. Wooden pegs were driven in, uh, water then was poured on the pegs, on, on the wood, the wood expanded and just split the rock. Simple device, still in use, even now, and I'll show you a video of that in the next. Uh, so this idea of you know things being lost, you know that that sort of become extinct. In my view, I don't think that can happen because somewhere it's an embedded empathy. I don't want to call it knowledge, but a sensibility that we carry within us. You know, no matter what time we are living in, there's a sense of continuum, and we can tap into those those sort of very deep spaces where we can then, when that some of these can be called back or sort of they can re-emerge. So for me, I'm more interested in that, that idea of, you know, how do you, not so much in a nostalgic way, but more of what was embedded in the way that we made things. This is, an, for me, a very important image. Uh, and it really talks about what's happening right now in India. That's really the local dress. You know, it's a, it's a linen shirt, which is, has a pocket because it's a cloth that's wrapped around, it's called a dhoti. Uh, and so I was buying these pitchforks, uh, and for me these pitchforks are a perfect representation of the hand or an extension of the hand, uh, something that has evolved over time, still in use, uh, it's an agrarian tool, and I was exchanging uh, money with the gentleman here on the right, and so I was, while I was doing that, I said, how come you're dressed up in this yellow t-shirt? And he says, you know, these companies that come and give visiting salesmen, they come and give us these t-shirts for free. It's cotton, you can't, you know, it's for free. It makes sense in the climatic conditions that he's living in. So he says, you know, why not? And the next thing I know when I'm ex exchanging the money, he dips his hand into his pocket. And I go to him, I say, you know, wow, how did you do that? And he said, I just took the t-shirt home. My wife cut it up, kind of like a Lucio Fontana cut. And this beautiful pink satin lining, you know. What's important for, for one to observe here is both can actually coexist. What seemed as a closed space, this onslaught of an economic juggernaut, that in some way 
that we feel is eroding culture, yeah. here there's a potential of the possibility of the confluence or the emerging of a third possibility. And that's for me what's fascinating about uh, this particular image. So when we talk about ethics of architecture, I think for me, the word ethics lie in more the idea of what motivates oneself and where that empathy, where that thought comes from. Uh, I'm sort of saying that closer to my belly because I think we think, you know, our, we think from here. This is where we process it, but the real thinking is sort of, you know, mind, head, heart, and body. That's, that's for me the sort of encompassing idea of what motivates us to make things. This particular image, uh, I call it postures in architecture, you know, and so it's just that what if the postures that we take are actually the reasons for us in some way losing or, or for a moment in time, you know, that idea of being obscured, a method or a process uh, that we're unable to do. And I sort of discovered this, this was at the 2010 Venice Biennale, and uh, we wanted to do a sort of very special floor that required us, uh, you know, it, it, it actually required a position that had to be taken. And we had an Italian contracting firm that came back with a can and said, we can apply this like paint. Uh, so we thought about it. Uh, we were, it was two of us, Sam and me, who was this American apprentice at that time, and 10 carpenters. So they weren't really masons, but we had kind of watched how the masons had worked. And what it required was to actually sit down on the floor like that with the trouble and work the floor. But it meant you had to do that for two or three continuous hours. I tried to get down on the floor. I couldn't. I came back up. Sam barely made it down. <laughs> but the carpenters, you know, because they sit, that's what you see, the way they actually sit. They were able to do that only because of a position that they were to take. They were able to take. Again, the idea of posture, not just in terms of a face physical posture, but the idea of a posture that we take generally, just what is our manner. So these are things that for me are quite interesting. Again, here what's important is, you know, feet, hands, the entire body as a mechanism that is in complete control of what is being made. And again, here it's, it's more this in between space. For me, that's what's more important. I think the same thing can be applied even to a mechanized world, you know. I think the difficulty that we have is traversing time or being agile because the speed that which, you know, let's say a backhoe or a machine that, that goes out and what it can do, you know, in a very quick succession of movements, it's I think more our inability to negotiate that sense of time, you know, or the quickness of time. So how do we develop an agility to negotiate those spaces that as the distance gets larger and the speed at which you can do something? And I think that's really, for me, the interest that is it possible to some way find something that, that negotiates that idea of distance and time? Uh, so using this principle here, that, that's what I observe, it's the space in between. There's a certain empathy, there's a certain relationship that's set up, there's a certain resonance that, that one is able to make contact with. Again, it's about sense than about just purely making. The making comes from more the idea of the sensibility that's embedded in that. 
I'd like to use three words for me that are very important. Uh, affection, restraint, and manner. You know, this idea of these three aspects in some way that we can embody. Uh, so this idea of making, and that's what I somehow sense in this, this, uh, this particular set of images, is this idea of restraint, affection, and manner. Again, this idea of storytelling, you know, lore, a body of tradition, and knowledge on a subject or held by a particular gr group typically passed from person to person by word of mouth. The second one, which is again another meaning of lore, the space between the eye and the base of the bill of a bird or between the eye and nostril of a snake. What's important here, and I'm interested more in the second one here, is a sense, it's a sort of guiding principle something that, that is not just based upon just the eyes, uh, but more something that's shared. Again, this idea of space, how do we understand space? It comes from a relationship of our five senses, be it sound, touch, taste. And a sixth one that comes from, I think, what I would like to call intuition, you know, this, this sense. But it requires the five senses in some way to communicate with each other, uh, to enable the possibility of the sixth. So this is quite interesting, actually. This is a granite quarry, uh, still in use. Uh, this was for a project I was doing where uh, it's in, in the southern part of the country. Uh, you know, just by word of mouth and, you know, just traveling from one space to the other, uh, one kept asking about, you know, this method of making. And, and it was a journey that went on for a few months, uh, revisiting this place. and. I discovered this granite quarry. This entire space has been cut in the last 50 years in this method. Two implements, chisel and a hammer. And what's interesting is that they found, you know, there's the space in between. So they actually tap the surface of the rock to listen to the sound, a hollow sound. And they make these holes. So one will be made here, another one there, another one there, another one there. And then they just connect the dots and before you know the just the stone just pops out poof so this idea of tilt up slab this idea of negotiating gravity just in a very simple gesture so for me what was interesting was that you could actually do a line out of a flat packed project in here and then just by the simple mechanism of cutting just the this action of just going into the ground or into the rock basically erect architecture just that idea of path of least resistance, economy of means, and empathy to the idea of our senses. So uh, for me, what is interesting is the potential of architecture for me actually lies in this. This is a process that has been there, you know, the slide I showed you earlier, not that dissimilar, the wooden pegs split the rock. So in some way, one can actually make buildings today, present day, right now, real time, but that can actually traverse time. They can be a thousand years old or a thousand years new. This idea where you can actually connect past, present, and future. I showed this after that particular slide because this is, these are Buddhist caves and uh, a, a sort of university that, that you know, goes back uh, 11th century. Actually, even before that, it predates that. This is actually a subtraction. It took a group of people 500 years 
So I just want you to imagine that if you are one of the guys out there, one of the people with a, with a small chisel and a hammer, how do we communicate? How do you pass on something that you are not going to see completely in your time? That idea of traversing time, the idea of you know, communication, the idea of transmission. So this has been built over a period of 500 years, an excavation where it basically mimics Mount Everest. That's really what this rock is. So if I, I mean, I, I, can, I think I, I want to open it up and I may, maybe I leave it at this particular slide. I guess what I want to communicate is that when we talk about ethics of architecture or ethics in architecture, what is it that we really want to communicate? You know, what is truly our potential? And you know, how far is it that we'd like to go? I think these are the questions that for me are important uh, and th that sort of come up. Uh, because this is really, it's the way or the path has already been shown. It already has been you know, done. It has been made. Uh, and it's more the idea of how do we transmit that sensibility of how do we pass on, how do we create an idea of continuum in the construction of something that can endure space and time. For me, that's really the core idea, the core value that I would like to see in the work that we work towards. You know, something that's deeply embedded in the idea of earth, ground, and sky. I'll leave you with this. Water, a colorless, transparent, odorless liquid, which forms the seas lakes, rivers, and rain, and is the basis of the fluids of living organisms. The invisible gaseous substance surrounding the earth, a mixture mainly of oxygen and nitrogen. The natural agent, light, the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Okay, I think we might- Thank you. Quit, Thank you very, very much. Thank you. You use the word anticipation. I think we're all probably now anticipating and really waiting to see the M Pavilion. <laughs> I caught a little glimpse this afternoon and it looks really beautiful. So, very much looking forward to seeing it. Thank so you. Thank you for coming. Thank, thank you for you. sharing your time. Thank you. To Robert and Naomi, thank you for sharing BJoy with us. And look forward to seeing you run the next of these talks in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you.